Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. You look so lovely in these pictures. And it's just everything you talk about in this book is so spot on. Um, I just love it. And, it. and I love the way like you have it all arranged and and the topics. And it's just, I think, so what everybody needs to know right now. Uh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, the whole, the way the book was arranged came to me. I, th- I like after we had come up with the, I'd come up with the outline for the book, you know, I'd, I had the, um, the publisher approached me about doing a totally different book. And after I did Garden Alchemy with them, they wanted to do an, a second book. And I sort of hemmed and hawed about that idea. And I said, this is the book that I really think needs to be out there. And they said, oh yeah, no, we love that. And then they said it was the fastest book to ever go through the publishing board. <laughs> it just, yes, absolutely. This We need this book out there. So, um, so I had the outline and I had sort of the overall vision. And then it, it just came to me one day when I was going through the projects and how I've been building my own regenerative garden that everything is connected in this network. And so it was really hard to take the various projects and put them into chapters because something that has to do with water also has to do with climate and ethics and community. And so when I had the chapters pulled together, it was really difficult to figure out where do each one of the concepts go or where each one of the projects go. And then when I saw it as a circle, And that's why we did the table of contents as a circle. And there's a circular pattern of different plants and a rainbow of colors all around the cover. That whole idea is about how everything we do is connected and works together. And when you build a regenerative garden, it's not just one piece or one project or one idea. It's about how it touches all the different things. So I'm glad that that comes across that, you know, the idea of how it's put together is not just because uh, we designed it that way for aesthetics. We designed it that way to help people really bring together the concept of regenerative gardening for them and their garden. And also they kind of remind me of like a, like a bee honeycomb type of a lot of the graphics that you use. And that's kind of like follows along right along with the whole community that you're Absolutely. talking about. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And we used honeycombs instead of circles. I mean, originally we had sort of the circular pattern, but, and, or spirals, but we looked at the patterns in nature. And when I say we, this is me working with the designers. Um, I really love the opportunity when you're writing a book with a publisher to have, you know, the opportunity to collaborate. When I wrote my first book, I wrote the book, I sent it in, and then they designed it and sent it back to me. And it wasn't Uh, It was great because it was my first book and I got to see sort of how they interpreted the things that I wrote. But since I've now, this is my 11th book and I've worked with a lot of different publishers, I really want it to bring more than just um, my words and someone else's design. I would like it to be a collaboration. That's why I really like working with Cool Springs Press. Um, So who took the photos then? I did. Yeah, I took most of the photos. There's a few in there that aren't mine. Um, and those are noted, obviously the ones of me, 
were taken by other people. But um, but yeah, I that's another thing I was really passionate about was doing the photography. So uh, I actually put the story up on my Instagram page for how I photographed the cover and the idea that I had and the process of it. And there's even um, a picture in there of my cat magic trying to eat the catnip because there's catnip flowers in the photo. Um, and it was quite funny because I was kept pushing him away when I was trying to take the photos of it. <laughs> Do you like, so uh, my original major when I very first went to college was photography and that was mm. you know, way before digital cameras. And so my rule of thumb was always, um, if I got three good photos out of a roll of 36, I was, you know, that was like my goal. And uh, so I take a million pictures, but yeah. even with the million pictures that I take, nothing is coming. Like when I try to like put together a newsletter or a book or like my photo, your photos are so awesome. Oh, thank you. Very clear. And they just really just, you know, they're like a great visual image to go with the words. Oh, thank you. Well, that's something that I'm really passionate about is capturing the beauty of nature in all its vividness. And so I guess, I mean, the camera shots that we take reflect how we see the world. And so part of that is, is me, you know, taking the time to share the vision that I see with the garden and the beauty of plants and that deep respect and love that I have for nature and its beauty, it, it does come across. You know, if somebody totally is taking a photograph of you and they love you, you can see that in the photo. Um, and if they don't, you can see that too. <laughs> so definitely, I mean, obviously there's, you know, some just bad lighting and bad mistakes with photos or bad framing or something like that. Um, that can, you know, mess up the photo too. But really once you practice a little bit. And one tip I had um, from, I went to uh, Monrovia's nursery in Dayton, Oregon. And one of the, uh, for their 90th birthday celebration, and one of the things that they organized for the people who came to see the event, like me, was they had their photographer during Winja who um, took people around in the nursery and showed, you know, some tips on photography. She is an amazing photographer. And one of the best tips that I got from that was when you take a picture, stop and move around and go to a different angle and then take the picture again and keep moving around your subject um, because that other angle might be just that beauty shot that you're looking for that shows it in a different way. So uh, I find that I do that and get these different angles that show things in a way that help people visualize how it would look in their garden or in their home. We've done an amazing job. I'm looking at the bug hotel now and there's so many awesome things. The little seed library, like the book libraries we have everywhere. Like I've never seen any of this. And then there is so much stuff in the beginning of the book. That's like I was saying, it's just like exactly what we need right now and what people are talking about. And like, you just, you've organized it so nicely. It like, it's very easy to read. And it just like answers, like everybody's talking about regenerative agriculture and stuff, but you've really broken it down for the backyard gardener. Yeah, and, and I think that's amazing. the thing about- Community farm stand, I love this. <laughs> I think that's the thing about um, permaculture is that it seems a little bit intimidating to- it does. Somebody, you know, who's been gardening for a long time and the idea of it, when you pick up 
permaculture books. They are really detailed, thick books with a ton of information and they're amazing, but they are not that easy to read. And one of the things that, um, you know, we talked about uh, this in the past when we've had previous chats um, that I started gardening because I became disabled and I started using gardening as a way to rehabilitate. So I need everything for me to be really easy to understand, easy to execute, accessible to people with disabilities, to people with limited funds, to people with small garden spaces. You know, you can have a huge homestead and a bunch of people that help you work on it and you can do anything. But if you've got any limitations at all, and we all have some busy schedules or whatever it is that's going on in our lives, um, we need these things to be more turnkey. We can visualize them. If we can visualize them uh, and see how easy it is and what the benefit is to us and the land and our communities, then there's really no reason why we can't just sort of jump in and try it. So that was my goal, was to break it down, make it really easy, make it attractive, um, make it so that people can sort of like take little bites of permaculture and add it into their own garden. I know that the minute they start putting in these regenerative projects, these regenerative systems, things that um, grow themselves and create ecosystems, they're going to realize how much less work it is in the garden, how they're not doing the chores that they don't want to do, how when we work with nature instead of against it, we're building uh, yards and landscapes for um, not just us, but the communities that we live in that sustain themselves. So it's better than sustainable. It's better than putting back what we're taking out. It's about helping to facilitate that, that ecosystem being created in our own little landscapes. Well, you nailed it. I mean, this book is just awesome. Um, Thanks, what is, is this keyhole bed and keyhole garden? It's so sweet and so pretty and just like so engaged. Like you just want to like crawl right in there. Is that in your garden? Uh, no. So the keyhole bed I did at a friend's garden um, because I have a, I live on an urban little, you know, standard city size lot, 33 by 122. And I've, it's a permaculture garden. I've, I've packed pretty much everything that I can in here, but I really wanted to have the space to do this keyhole garden. And so my friend Melody had a front yard that she wanted to put some more raised beds in. And I said, how about instead of raised beds, we, we fill that space with a keyhole because instead of this much linear space, you'll actually get this much planting space and much and it's much easier for you to access it you just walk into the middle and you can reach everything and the and rocks actually, are so pretty you have like these rock borders and the little handprint ceramic stones to step on with the rocks with the like gems or whatever they are the colored stones oh it's just so beautiful yes her children made those those stepping stones and so it was meaningful for her to put those in and all those rocks were just from around her garden space so she's all recycled materials well we did because we were working on it together uh, and then we planted um, a worm tower as well. So the worm hotel in her keyhole bed so that there's a, like a place for spot composting. And I gave her some of the worms from my worm bin to put in there. So she's now got her own little worm farm feeding the garden bed. It's lovely. It's really, it's a, it's a lovely space. And there's a couple of different um, keyhole bed designs in the book. There's the more traditional African style, which is a raised bed that allows uh, you to walk in and sort of like rest on the edges and it's got a composting system in the middle. 
but I wanted to show how you know, like a permaculture keyhole bed, the idea is to minimize your pathways and maximize your planting space where you can access everything by just reaching your bedroom from either the outside or the inside. Um, I'm just looking at the, the willow hurdle that's protecting the squash, parsley, dahlias, and okra. Oh, what's that going on the other side? Because windbreaks, like I was just talking, the woman I was just talking to this morning, she was talking about the wind and the trouble they were having with wind. And we've had huge wind. And my mom, I just got back from New York and the wind there was like, there were a couple of days where we were like, we're not going out to even walk the dog other than like, you know, just the minimum because it was so windy. And so how cool is that, that you've got like these little, but they're like, it's not like, ugly. it's pretty. It's like something like you wouldn't even know that that's why that's there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, so in the climate chapter, I talk about sort of the overall theme of working with your climate, understanding it, and then using how you build your structures and put what plants you put in, in order to, uh, channel climate in a way so you can put in things like a heat sink which warms up the warms up the soil and you can grow hotter plants or things that capture cold but in the windbreak section you can um you know using wind trees on the outside of a property to break wind is a very popular um you know it's obviously it's been done for longer than we've been writing about gardening um but you can i mean any structure that you put up will break wind for, I keep saying break wind, it sounds really funny, <laughs> will function as a windbreak. <laughs> we'll have a good laugh about that one later. Oh, um, because of like, like as a, I'm like, what, huh? A person right. breaking wind, you know, so if you, a windbreak will function as a windbreak for uh, five times its height in its distance. So it's a, if it's five feet tall, then it'll prevent wind from hitting um, the plants or protect them for 25 feet. So if you have a tiny little structure like that, it can directly, the like the um, hurdle that, um, that you saw, that is for little vegetable plants that you're trying to keep, you know, the wind from pollinating, knocking down, whatever. Um, but you can do trees at the edge of a property, you can do a fence structure, anything that, you know, really helps to create more comfort on the other side of it. Okay, should I introduce you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. We just started talking. I was going to say, like, we should turn on the video so I can see your face. Okay. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Saturday, December 11, 2021, and I have an amazing guest back on the line to share with us her newest book, The Regenerative Garden, 80 Practical Projects for Creating a Self-Sustaining Garden Ecosystem. Welcome back to the show, Stephanie Rose. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. It's so nice to be back again. Well, we are so happy to have you because like I was telling you in the pre-chat, this book is just like the book everybody needs. Like it answers all of our questions. It lays everything out so simply. It talks about the things that everybody's talking about, but it kind of puts it all together in this like easy to read guidebook manual. The pictures are just beautiful and just um, tell, you go ahead and tell listeners, they do not want to hear from me. So I'm going <laughs> to mute my mic. 
So welcome back, Stephanie, and thank you for sharing with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Oh yeah, this book was a lot of fun to write because I have been building a regenerative garden in my home garden for many years. And people can't believe it when they come over, they're just, they're like, you never work on your garden. You know, I spend time in my garden, but I don't have to do all the chores. There's not a lot of pruning or weeding or planting or any of this stuff. I do the things that I want to do to sort of continue to build the regeneration of it. Um, but it is a self-sustaining ecosystem. So it's lush and beautiful. And it doesn't look like your traditional garden where, you know, things are in rows and you can see the soil. Um, I, it looks more like a it's forest. like a prettier. Yeah, it's like a forest or a meadow, you know, came together and uh, joined into a landscape. Um, with, you know, my favorite plants, there's lots of wild medicinal plants and herbs and food and vegetables that can be eaten in fruit trees and ornamental plants and wildlife habitat all in my standard city size lot here in uh, Vancouver, BC. So it's, uh, it's packed for sure, but it's also a place of joy and healing and um, community. So do you want to kind of like walk listeners through kind of quickly, like maybe kind of like your outline that you were talking about that you presented or just like some of the basics of, you know, where they might start? Yes, absolutely. Well, when, you know, when I had the idea for doing this book, I had an idea of doing project-based um, permaculture projects that were really accessible and attractive so that the home gardener didn't sort of feel intimidated by the idea of permaculture, but had, you know, this desire to see these projects, how easy they are to create the value of creating them within your garden and um, then how, how it improves the amount of time that you spend in the garden um, for the benefit. So rather than having to do a lot more chores, you have systems that are built that regenerate themselves and it, it takes less of your input and allows you to get more, either if you're growing food, then more produce, more, uh, more production of fruit, vegetables, herbs, you know, all those things. If you're growing an ornamental garden, something that sustains itself in that way, or if it's a combination of all of them. So I wanted something to just be really accessible and very, um, and very attractive so that it was easy for people to do. So I had this vision of how it all came together at one point. So first it was a list of projects and then it came as these six concepts of um, permaculture that the projects kind of fall into them. Some of them fall into multiple chapters, but in how I laid it out, I thought I'll start with obviously the soil because that's where we start with. And once we talk about, you know, sort of what's below the surface and how the soil helps to regenerate, then we talk about water. And so there's all these projects that surround water catchment, how to um, store water, how to efficiently use it, how to redirect it back into your garden. Then there's a section on plants, which it seems like a really broad category because when we think about gardening, of course, the first thing we think about is plants. But a lot of it talks about plants as messengers, so how we can use plants in different ways, um, how we can read the plants, so plants that are soil fixers, 
if a wild plant plants itself in your garden somewhere, then it's giving you a message that that soil needs something. And so that plant is there to regenerate that soil for you. So learning to get those messages from plants and figure out why they're there. Then it gets a little bit out of the, you know, standard gardening fair and goes into climate. And we start to talk about how to harness the different um, parts of climate so that you can make your garden an ecosystem that's protected from climate or harnesses the energy of the climate so that you can use it like, you know, creating a heat sink where um, rocks will warm up, um, say a raised bed or an herb spiral and be able to, you know, grow uh, plants earlier, um, ones that like more heat, that sort of thing. Um, and then it goes into the idea of ethics. And I think this is a lot of looking at our waste and how much we waste energy-wise, how much we waste in products, how we can utilize that waste better. So how we can compost different composting systems, um, different ways to give back and build those systems that are regenerative rather than just sustainable. It goes beyond sustainable. Um, and then the final chapter, I was gonna call something like wildlife, um, but it seemed to really span a lot more for me when I sat down with that chapter. And I started thinking about who are all the beings that use our garden space. So of course we do, uh, the people who live in, you know, around the garden, uh, your family, yourself. Um, then again, we're very commonly in now inviting wildlife into our gardens or we might not even invite them, they might just show up. So how do we then create these gardens that uh, help us work with the wildlife, so help to deter pests, help to encourage beneficials, and but then also the people who share our space with us. Um, not just those that are in our, that come into our garden, but the passersby, people who are in our, our neighbors, how all these people uh, who are within our community and all these animals, the wild plants, the insects, all come together and I think community is kind of my favorite chapter because it takes this idea of all these projects and brings it to this place of how do we build a garden that not just feeds us, but supports the community that we exist within. And so, yeah, there's lots of great projects in there that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, things like seed libraries. So, but instead of a little free library where people have books outside of their home, you can have a seed library. And there's some ideas in there about not just how to build the seed library, but also how to run a seed library, how to um, add the seeds so that you're providing education out there into the community. So you're not just sending out seeds, but you're sending out the opportunity for people to learn how to garden as well and continue to beautify the neighborhood and provide their own food. So, <clears throat> Seed libraries are wonderful for that. Um, there's also things like urban, an urban flower stand where you can be an urban flower farmer and create a little stand right outside the front of your house. So you can make beautiful arrangements and allow them to go out into the public and share with your neighbors. Um, if you grow a lot of food, how you can do a little mini farm stand. Again, a lot of this comes from the perspective of small scale because if you have a large property you have a larger landscape, you might have the ability to do this um, more easily than a small scale. So when I talk about the urban flower stand and 
um, community sharing with seed libraries and um, farm stands and things like that. They're common outside of the city. As we get into the city, maybe a little less common. And it's an opportunity um, to take these little ideas and think about how you can apply them in whatever it is your landscape is, whether it's a balcony, whether it's a you know standard city size lot like mine, whether it's a, a larger acreage or a suburb, um, a house in the suburbs. So yeah, it's I love really that part about it. And I think it's like, it's in an, it will enable people because one of the big questions I get all the time is, what do I do about my neighbors? How do I deal with my neighbors? And so as you were talking about the education piece, like all of a sudden, maybe this is a way for you to engage your neighbors and, and encourage them and give them, because that's what I always say. I'm like, I imagine like when I talk about my mom in New York and her trouble, like I just always think they probably just really don't know. They have no idea. They've never encountered um you know lawns that don't have chemicals but like they just think that's the only thing when they go to the store they just automatically go to that aisle where all the chemicals are and think this is what I have to do because they don't have that education piece and so I think that I, I just love all of this that you're talking about community you're explaining how people can engage their community on a small scale and like people maybe think oh a, a farm cart's only going to be for you know somebody who has a big farm but that you could share and like for somebody like me who likes to grow flowers, like, I, you know, that might be a way for me to share my flowers. Yes, absolutely. You know, in each one of, so the, another thing that I brought into the book was the idea of good, better, and best. Um, and that follows, there's a, a more modern permaculture ethic called the transition ethic. And that means uh, it's, it's about working towards a, a, the goal of being regenerative rather than feeling overwhelmed by the steps that it takes to get there and then sort of going, well, I, it's too much, so I'm not gonna do it. So the idea of good, better, best is in every project throughout the book and every chapter, I That's write so one honeycomb is good, two honeycomb, and I write an idea of what that could be. So one honeycomb is good, two honeycombs is better, and three honeycombs is best, but in one part of the book, I actually scratched that out and wrote even better because there, it's really not about reaching a goal. It's about every step that we can make to sort of go in that direction. So when you were talking about the neighbors, you know, I know that, you know, like there's a, we want to sort of help educate people about nature and, um, you know, not using these chemicals and, and, you know, please don't go and buy Roundup, even though you can still buy it. Uh, because it's, you know, we're, we're causing so much damage to our whole community by using these things just on our properties. Um, so one of the projects in the community is in the community chapter is a butterfly pathway. And the good, better, best of that one is good would be for you to take some plants and plant them that are butter, like research what are the native butterflies that might be migrating, whether it's monarchs or whatever it is that you have migrating through your area and plant some of the plants that they like, that they need as host plants or as food plants in a butterfly pathway garden somewhere on your property. A better would be doing it somewhere visible. So on the boulevard, somewhere where people can see it and putting up some signage. So that you're now sharing with people that this beautiful butterfly pathway is there to encourage butterflies stops along the way and help them understand that there's, you know, like the more we cultivate 
um, oh, we take out all the plants and we grow lawns. We're taking away the food sources for these um, wonderful, wonderful insects that, that you, you need to have these stops along the way. So the third would be even better is that you could encourage neighbors to also, you know, maybe somebody down on the next block to plant one as well develop a little community system where everybody now is participating in either an organized butterfly pathway um, or you're creating your own within a neighborhood and we're sharing that information. So it's like every step of the way, it's not just about the projects because you know building a butterfly pathway is a great project to do and there's definitely value in doing it. It'll be beautiful, it'll be fun. It's a worthwhile project, but it can reach even farther and help to build strength and education in the communities if we want to take it there. So that's kind of what each project of the 80 projects in the book shares is this idea of how you can start and where you could take it if it feels like the right thing for you. I think that's another reason why probably your publishers were like, you're totally right. This is the right time for that because you know, we've just been through this big giant thing in our country of trying to divide everybody and separate everybody. And this is a great place for people to come together because, and to create community and share ideas and educate neighbors and, and to have conversations with your neighbors that are, um, you know, pretty um, harmless, you know, like it's a good way to like, without getting into like some big political, you know, just, dispute you know where you're talking about how flowers grow or how to you know have butterflies in your neighborhoods and I think that's one of the things that's made my podcast successful is that people so many people have come on all of my guests like amazing guests like you sharing ideas that help um each other because that you know like I feel like that's one of the things I've really strived in my podcast to not just be about how to grow vegetables or how to grow fruit or whatever but how to you know improve the whole ecosystem how to you know sh change our world and change our environment and and i think that you've given us just like this little manual with these 80 easy projects that are doable you've got the easy step-by-step -step, um way to do them you've got that like maybe this year you're just going to try for the you know step one how to do you know good and then maybe you know, after you kind of master that and you feel comfortable with it, then you can work towards the better and then eventually get to the best and just not being overwhelmed. Like I was saying, like, that is so me. Like when I, I even, I had never even heard the term permaculture when I started my podcast six years, seven years ago now. Um, and now I'm a little more comfortable with it and, and the whole idea, but I still like, I can get overwhelmed sometimes just trying to think about like, what am I going to put the dirt in to start the seeds? Like come February, I'm always like, all right, I'm going to start some seeds. And then I get so over, you know, like getting overwhelmed is really, I think something a lot of people feel. And then the other thing that I was looking at in your book, like there's the hula culture um, method because so many people, you've got like your cool diagrams and you talk about that. And so many people like, I feel like another thing I've seen a lot, especially in Facebook groups this summer, is where do I get dirt? What do I do? And what do I fill my beds with? And that hookah culture method is such a great one. And you and you've got that project in there. And then I'm also looking at the one with the terracotta flower pots. And last year I interviewed this woman, Susan Lovejoy, and she had she had the ter so this is like a double thing you can do with them because you're using them for water catchment, 
But her thing was like, I always have a hard time with um, dragging my hoses around and them getting stuck on rocks. And so she does the same thing to kind of help you not get your hoses. So you're like solving two problems at once with this same um, project here. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, the thing I like about something like the Google culture is that it's not, again, it shows you how the steps to build a Google culture. And it shows you not the traditional Google culture where you have a large piece of land and you can sort of put it out in the back 40 and, and like, you know, regenerate soil that way and plant some wild plants in it. It shows you how I incorporated it in my small garden, planted a fig tree in the middle, some beautiful like ornamental plants. There's some squash growing, like a whole bunch of different things were supported in this. But yeah, I'm, I'm building soil. I'm holding onto water because the base of the hugel culture is rotting wood. So you dig a hole and then you take like tree branches or something that's wood that's rotting. When you go into the forest and you see this rotting wood, uh, and I'm not saying take it from the forest because you'll probably have lots around that you can access. Um, but when you go into the forest and you see it and it's just crumbling apart. And because I live in a rainforest, it's quite damp. That wood is like a sponge. It's full of awesome fungal matter and bacteria that helps to support the soil breaking down. And uh, you know the, you can smell the health of it when you're in the forest and you see this wood that's just sort of crumbling apart because it's decomposing. But the way it holds on to water also reduces so much of uh, so much of the additional water supplementation that you need for this type of um, garden. So you can take that concept once you and there's just a, like a little tiny sidebar on there and it shows a piece of rotting wood with a mushroom on it. Um, and the idea of like put some in your pots, you know, if you're a container gardener, put some in your uh, wicking beds in your keyhole garden, like the keyhole garden had sheet mulching, it had um, culture type um, layers in it as well. Anything that you're doing, you can use these concepts to just sort of add a little extra, rather than having to follow the project step by step by step, um, which you can, but also it gives you this benefit. So yeah, I've got wood in everything because it's holding on to moisture, it's adding a whole bunch of beneficial properties, you know, and then spot composting and really just looking to how does the forest do it? How can I then take that concept and put it into my home garden? Just out of curiosity, have you tried that in like a container? Because I was going to try that in some containers last summer and then we never actually got to the project, but I was that's what I was thinking we could do something like that. Absolutely. Yes. 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 I mean, it's not the same volume of wood because you still want to have soil and it really depends what you have in the container and the size of the container. Um, it's These are like really large, um, like horse trowel things, you know, yes. and that was part of the problem was like, we were having such a hard time sourcing soil to put in there and I thought I wonder if I could try like a hula culture thing like if we put a bunch of sticks on the bottom and yes. then put the dirt so we didn't have to have so much soil absolutely well you see people who do that and they put like empty the four liter I don't know what you call them gallons or something um in Canada <laughs> um but the big plastic milk um containers and so they take it to take up space but if you actually put wood in there you're you're creating that those air pockets using materials that are free but will decompose and add to the soil. So I know that um, uh, 
Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening. He sells birdies raised beds and he does the same thing. He, he fills them with branches and sticks and, and wood to create that base. Hmm. Because you're right. I don't know who that is. And, and so you do want air. I haven't seen anything with those plastic containers, but you do you want the airflow in between with it? Cause I was worried, like if we had the sticks on top of each other, we were going to have to like pass the dirt in between, but we want the air to flow. Yeah. But yeah, the air is great. I mean, it will like, as you build your layers, um, so you're filling in the spaces. So you have your branches and your sticks sort of at the bottom. I'll put a little bit of soil at the bottom. If you're doing one of those, um, stock tank type gardens or large ones, a little bit of soil at the bottom and then um, some, you know, rotting. If you can find uh, wood that's already rotting, the better. But if it's, you know- Well, we live in the woods, so there's tons yeah, of that. <laughs> great. So then take, you know, mix that first layer and it shows it in the diagram. You're gonna mix that layer with sort of the larger logs and some sticks. So you've got a variety of different materials. And then you can put other things in there that are hard to decompose in like a composting system, um, like fruit pits. Um, you can put in, uh, you know, things that are easier, some other carbon materials like uh, paper, straw, uh, you know, the dried leaves from whatever and start filling in some of the spaces with things like that. Even like corn stalks or the sunflower stalks that you Absolutely. To decompose. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Like wondering, like we have seven compost bins because like three of them are just dedicated to the stuff that takes years to decompose. But maybe that would help us, you know, use that and, and it yeah. decompose faster. Absolutely. I mean, that stuff is gold, right? I mean, this is why there's a whole chapter dedicated to this idea of like looking at everything that you have as an opportunity to uh, use in a different way. So there's, you know, the, another permaculture concept is uh, how many, I, f I forget exactly what it's called, but it's um, uh, it's something like the last efficient use or something to that effect. And the idea is that you, for example, you have a tree, you cut it down, then you use the wood to make a, uh, a chair or a fence, a fence say, and the fence uh, starts to need to be replaced. It starts to come down. So you reclaim the wood and use it to make a stool or a bench for outside. And then that bench starts to fall apart. So you then reclaim that wood and turn whatever's usable into some utensils that you can use um, for whatever and take the remaining wood and you know anything that's rotting and then start putting that into hugel cultures or in the base of your raised beds or in a keyhole bed or something like that. So the idea is to look at everything for how it could possibly be used and it reduces your overall effort because you're not then sourcing new materials and having to remove waste. You're just continuing to recycle throughout your property. I love that. I, I love everything about this book. It's just so um, comprehensive. But then also, like you said, it, it's not overwhelming. And just there's so many great things in here. I just actually found the second half. <laughs> like I was only like, I had to reduce my screen size. So like all of a sudden there's twice as many pages <laughs> when I first opened it up. Um, and uh, I just, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't? Because I do have that other interview starting in just a few minutes and I just, um, 
want to make sure that we tell everybody like where do they get like it hasn't even come out yet right like that's why this proof has all these things to it right because it doesn't come out till 2022 yeah when are you gonna air this uh probably hopefully in january okay yeah it's coming out in spring of 2022 but you can pre-order it now and pre-ordering guarantees that you'll get the first copies with production delays and everything that's going on um right now with you know shipping delays and uh, production delays publishing has had a really really hard time uh making sure that books get out there so pre-orders are really really important so if you're listening to this in january then please order a copy of the regenerative garden to be the first one that gets a copy and um that Plus, also we want stephanie's book to make it to the new york times bestseller list and the amazon <laughs> seller list and pre-orders help that wouldn't that wouldn't that be amazing wouldn't it be amazing that we put you know, that there was enough popularity about the ideas of organic gardening, regeneration, permaculture, love for the earth, that it actually, you know, makes it really lists that tell us what's popular. I mean, we can use some good news. It, that, it, would mean, it would mean the world to me that I had any part in helping uh, any one person find the connection to plants that I was able to find. And that's why I do all this. Um, and that's why I try to make it. So I'm not, I'm not writing the book for me. I'm writing the book so that somebody else can be able to replicate the things that have supported me so that they get that same support. And, you know, there was one thing that you had mentioned earlier. Um, you know, you're talking about like what we've been going through lately and um, how important it is for us to sort of come together as communities. One of the things I talk about in here is in the climate chapter was climate grief. And part of why I write the things that I do in the way that I do and showcase beautiful images and easy projects that, you know, have a lot of value um, is because it's a way of, for us to do something. This is a DIY project book. It means you can do yes. it. You can take on those what feels like monstrous jobs of repairing how our society is working together and how our our earth is upset and angry and hurting and it may not be that we you know the the things that we're doing like building hugo cultures and catching water and all the and building butterfly pathways is saving the planet or our communities but if everybody starts to take these little steps in a positive way with love and intention, then, I mean, we can't help but come together as an earth and as a community, but, you know, it's, so for me, yes, if it, if people are purchasing the book, um, it means a lot because it means we're, we're coming together in the way that I hope so deeply in my heart that we are able to come together. Oh my gosh, I feel like I should just be quiet and not say anything else. That was so beautiful and so eloquent and just, it's so true. And I think, um, you know, it, like it gives people an action step to take. And these are action steps that are really going to have an impact and they're going to make a difference on our planet. And it might seem small, like you said, but if we all do it and we put it together and we take these steps together, um, I mean, that really is the only way it's going to change. And it's by people doing things like this. And the more people doing it, the more we share and the more we educate our neighbors and the more, um, 
you know, we just like the seed library, like those little book libraries, like nobody ever saw those little book borrowing libraries a few years ago and look at them now. And so imagine if we, I've never seen one of these seed libraries, like what if we, you know, imagine where they could go and just all of these ideas are just, and they're, and just, I love the way that they're doable and they don't look, um, cause like you said, it, it does seem overwhelming and intimidating and, and you've broken this down into just really simple basic steps that we can all try so thank you so much for sharing with us today stephanie and just um i really appreciate your time to come on on the saturday morning and enjoy your saturday morning that you're um just waking up to and and getting going and um anything else tell the listeners how to connect with you so is it is it gardentherapy.com or yeah gardentherapy.ca actually but if you google garden therapy I, it comes up if you, you know, Stephanie Rose, gardening, garden therapy, regenerative garden. My previous book um, with Cool Springs Pratt's was Garden Alchemy, which is a really great book as well. That's what we talked about last time. Um, but yeah, it, it also, I mean, while you're waiting for the regenerative garden or once you get it, I always have lots and lots of resources on garden therapy as well. The blog there probably has uh, 1500 projects because I've been writing it since 2009. I've got lots of other books. I've got online courses. So it's a really great place to go. Our community, our garden therapy community is filled with love and support. So when people are having, you know, that little bit of a struggle in their day, it's a great place to help reset as well. So lots of ideas, lots of positive action and, um, you know, lots of sort of feel good garden therapy can be found over on gardentherapy.ca. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And listeners, I'll see you over there. So you have a wonderful morning. Thanks so much, Jackie. It was so great to talk to you again. And see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Just want to remind you to go to the season four survey and fill it out so you can enter to win a copy of Jesse Frost's book, um, the Living Soil Handbook, or you will win a grocery sack that is hand-painted by me. So click on the link in the show notes, fill out the quick survey, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, about what I can do to serve you better as the host, and what topics you'd like to learn about on the podcast. Have a great 2022. P.S. I will be picking the winner on Valentine's Day, February 14th, so make sure you get it in before then. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.